Hi, this is Darren Euchre with Pennsylvania Farm Bureau. Rural broadband is an important issue that our organization cares about, and we have been pushing the state and federal government to direct more resources so that rural communities can connect to the Internet. Penn State Extension released a detailed GIS map highlighting what connectivity looks like across the state, but especially in rural communities. I recently chatted with Tom Bresnock to learn more about the map and how it is useful. I'm the client relationship manager for Southwest Pennsylvania. So I cover Indiana Armstrong, Westmoreland, Washington, Fayette Green, and Allegheny County. So seven counties here in the Southwest. And I try to stay connected with the community and just get feedback from the community on our programming and needs. Uh, we do have advisory councils in all seven counties. So those are local folks that advise us on uh, suggestions for increasing productivity or where we can be better serving these local communities. Just kind of broadly, uh, you had mentioned that, you know, since you had joined Penn State, you had been tackling this issue. Tell me why and what you're seeing as the need out there in the communities that you serve. Well, hey, thanks again, Darren, for, you know, having the opportunity to come on and chat with you about this. Um, I've been with Penn State Extension since 2017. And when I, I came on, one of the things that I was concerned about was the effect of the lack of rural broadband and the effects on these communities. I, I grew up in, and still live in a very rural part of Northern Indiana County. So I had a, you know, a personal experience with the lack of the broadband access. Um, I, I do wanna give a shout out to a couple of people who were very helpful in letting me kind of pursue this. Um, my boss, Tara Mondock, who's the Associate Director of Client Relations and Jim Ladley, who's the Assistant Director for Energy Business and Community Vitality, uh, were very helpful in kind of saying, hey, run with this and, and see what you can put together. So in 2017, there was a unique opportunity for Pennsylvania to pursue uh, what was called the Connect America Fund II auction. So that was about $375 million available in Pennsylvania for bid. And at the time, we were focusing on uh, a lot of it was the electric co-ops. So we had a connection there, uh, brought in 13 of the electric co-ops to State College, and we had a, a very nice presentation from some former FCC folks, some industry folks that were saying, hey, you know, this is happening across the country. This is doable. And not only that, there's, there are dollars available. And as a background, if people wonder where this money is coming from, it's from the Universal Service Fund. It's a high cost fund. Uh, it comes off your telecommunication bill for long distance services. So you, you kind of pay into that. So this isn't new money, this is existing money. And at that time, uh, like I said, it was 375 million up for bid. And of the folks that, that came up there, we were excited that Tri-County Electric, uh, Craig Ecker is the CEO there, they did win uh, the bid in their area for about $30 million. And I believe the state of Pennsylvania kicked in an additional 15 million. So it was very successful. And he did say that our, our educational seminar, you know, any kind of education he got and input did help move their decision to uh, pursue the dollars. And just, uh, so for, that kind of, and just to interrupt real quick, and for geography, that rural electric serves uh, McKean, Potter, and uh, what other county in the Northern Tier? I'm up there. I don't, I don't have the map pulled up, but it is that northern tier through Tioga is like the central office in there. So it's it's one of the more remote parts of the state right on the New York border there. We were excited to see that because it showed a successful formula to pursue some of the funding and, and get this built out. 
I've I've chatted briefly with Craig a couple times since then, and I think they're more surprised than ever of the additional subscribers they're getting. It's been a high percentage take rate, so they couldn't be happier with how that's going. And that that kind of fast forwards to today. Um, there was an, a new fund came out called the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, or RDOF, and this is uh, $20 billion nationwide. Pennsylvania has upwards of $720 million available. So this is a huge jump, you know, almost doubling of what was available from the CAF 2 auction for bidders this year. And some of the dates are, are coming up quickly. So we worked with uh, some folks from the initial meeting back in 2017, specifically Joe Whitmer with the PUC. He was very, very helpful and a lot of input on this. And I think one of the things he wished we had back then was some sort of visual representation of this funding. So we said, hey, we believe we have the expertise to put together a mapping tool and we can get it out there for the public and get it out there for elected officials to see. And that really was the impetus to go forward with this rural broadband map that we now have live for anyone to look at today. So that's kind of how we got here. But, but RDOF is, is a, a huge opportunity for the Commonwealth. Uh, there'll be some deadlines coming up from the FCC. I believe July 15th is the short form application. So there, there is some urgency uh, for anyone who's looking to bid, but we, we hope this map uh, will be very helpful from an educational standpoint to any potential bidders and to explain what's available to elected officials as well. So for those that haven't seen the map, what, what does it do and why is it helpful? It's easy to find. It's, it's extension.psu.edu. There'll be a big search box. You can just type in broadband map. And it allows you to go and, and first you'll see every county listed there. You can go in and to your specific county. When you click where you live, you'll see some sub uh, sets of data. You can take a look at who is my state rep, state senator, US representative. And then we're going to actually break it down by county. And what you can see is what is the funding available in those areas? You can, you can look at it by the complete funding available in these uh, legislative districts as one thing, what's available at the county level, and then it gets down to the census block level. So these are FCC census blocks. And that is really what entities would, would bid on. Over 10 years, uh, you'll see the per year available funding. So often you'll see numbers like 200,000, 300,000. That's per year over 10 years. And when you add those census blocks up into an area, most of these counties are sitting on 10, 20, 30 million dollars plus in available funding uh, to offset the cost of building networks in these areas. So it's, it's a very exciting opportunity. What, what we've funding, done- and, no, Sorry to interrupt, but that funding comes from the FCC? That's right. This is all uh, just like Connect, the Connect America Fund. Uh, this is existing money from the Universal Service Funds, the high cost fund. So this, these aren't additional dollars. These are uh, basically fees that we have all paid into over the years. I believe it generates around eight billion plus a year nationwide, somewhere in there for this high cost fund. So this allocates a large chunk of that over 10 years uh, for this RDOF version of the auction. So it's pretty exciting. So, so what you're saying is there is a tremendous amount of funding out there that a private company can use to start offering services in areas that currently are underserved? 
That, that's right. So the, the FCC census blocks, what they look at is there's a federal standard of 25 megabits speed download speed and three megabits up. And if those areas don't meet that standard currently, this is from FCC data, then they put these census blocks up for bid for someone to come in. It could be the incumbent provider to improve the service, but if they don't go after that, then this is available to any bidder. Uh, it's a reverse auction process. So in this one, it's, I won't get into a lot of the details, but the, they weight it, uh, but the lighter weight wins. And what would have the most success or the opportunity for success would be fiber to the home because that's the highest possible speed and the lowest latency number. So that's sort of the top service. But other services like fixed wireless or other solutions that are really out there to connect what they call last mile or very remote rural homes and farms are still eligible to go after the funding. Has this data set not ever been sort of compiled and available in one particular area? Is that why this map is so important? I, I think so. I, the the data has always been there. I mean, you, you could have piled through all the FCC data and, and tried to look at what was out there, but because it's so accessible to anybody, I mean, anybody that wants to even know what's available as a consumer in their area, you can look at what the speeds the FCC is telling you. Um, it's exciting to see it in a visual representation. So we, we took all of that data that was available. This is all open source. None of this is uh, proprietary in any way. And we compiled it to show not only the areas where the funding's available, but we've added some unique functionality that we think would be valuable to bidders. And some of this would include, there's a measurement tool on there. Uh, for example, you may want to know what, what would be the fiber run from a substation, electric substation to this group of 20 homes or farms, and you can actually go onto the tool and, and make an estimate. So that would help with some general cost estimates that's on there. Like I said, the, we've listed some infrastructure in the state that was publicly available. So a lot of the, the substations for power are listed. Uh, we believe that's valuable because often you would connect to these power stations first uh, and then go out into the community. Also, uh, there was some of the actual towers in the state that are up there. Some of these are FM radio towers. Some of them are cellular towers. And this would allow some of the potential fixed wireless bidders or even local communities that might want to set up a network to say, hey, there's existing infrastructure that we may be able to leverage. And where does this exist in the community? The, the nice thing about the map is it's, we can update it all the time. So we're always looking for input from folks, you know, what layers can we add? And, and we look to, to keep improving it uh, as different funding streams may come available in the future. So I, one of the things that I found interesting about the map was it showed what the basic level of service was in those communities. And in, in, in some cases, the speeds were still dial-up, you know, maybe technology that's 10, 15 years old um, in, a, in a lot of our communities. It, did you kind of get that same impression in looking over the data? Well, I will say it, it is eye-opening to see where there is service and not. And again, this is FCC data. Um, what we're excited about, actually, and I, I think you're going to actually speak with Dr. Meinrath uh, later, uh, he has data of actual real-world speeds. And, and he had done some work for the uh, Center for Rural PA and his MLAB project. We hope to actually incorporate that at a later date, some of this data, to see what real-world speeds. So there's an advertised speed obviously, and, and you see it in the brochures that might be out there when you try to subscribe for service. But then there's the reality of the consumer. 
And as that data becomes more available, we hope to integrate some of that. But this is what you're going to see on this map is FCC speeds uh, that are provided for the current provider. And because they didn't meet that 25 down, three up uh, FCC standard, these areas become eligible. So really very comprehensive designed to not only help elected officials make good decisions, but also to help private enterprise figure out how much is available in funding and what and maybe help them figure out their cost of expanding service? That, that's right. So this is an opportunity to offset something that they may have been thinking about doing. But uh, like I said, the amount of money available to the state of Pennsylvania exceeds 700 million. So this is a very unique opportunity. Uh, when, when the state of Pennsylvania, they had limited funding to help through DCED in the past round, but but nothing approaching this level. So if anyone was kind of on the fence about pursuing a network or expanding networks or try to service those last mile remote farms and homes in rural Pennsylvania, this is an incredible opportunity to do that. I, I think by the nature of our jobs, we understand some of the things that folks living in rural communities can't do because of the lack of broadband. But I'd like for me to hear from your perspective and some of your stories that you know personally what can't we do in rural Pennsylvania because we can't connect to the internet in, in a fast way? Well, I think with everything that's happened through the pandemic, it's really put a spotlight on what we aren't able to do. I know there are a lot of folks that attempted to work from home and it was really almost impossible to do so with either a very poor internet connection or no connection. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was an FCC study that put out upwards of 39% of folks living in rural areas either have no or little internet connectivity that does not meet the FCC standard. So that rules out work from home for a lot of folks. Um, you'll see a lot of these rural schools, when the schools were closed, they were not able because of the percentage of folks that did not have acceptable broadband access. They required students to go pick up physical papers and do their work still in a paper format when their counterparts in urban and suburban areas were able to to do some pretty creative things with the connectivity. So that's part of that digital divide you often hear about is urban versus suburban. Uh, and we were behind on that because of that. Also, you know, ability to run a home-based business, uh, telemedicine, you're gonna hear more and more of that. I think that was also highlighted from the pandemic of how useful that could be. We do see a lot of rural hospitals across the country not able to to continue for financial reasons. So I believe that telemedicine will become even more important in rural areas. And often in, in what you do and what we work at, precision agriculture is, is only gonna to continue to grow. And, and that requires a very good broadband connection as a backbone to make all of these things happen in the next five, 10, 20 years. So I think th those are all very important things. I, I did wanna highlight something, extension uh, really, upped their online offerings over the last couple of years. And we saw tremendous growth. I, I just have some stats here. Between April 1st and May 10th, we had 1.5 million users log on. That's a 70% increase. That's a huge increase in, in folks looking for education and information. We had over 6 million page views come up. That's 200% increase. Uh, 84,000 new folks signed up for an account. And we had over 108,000 folks take an online course through extension. So this is a great opportunity for us to expand uh, how we deliver education 
while we'll still do the traditional in-person like we always have done, this is a, a great sign of the demand for that. But again, it, it requires a good broadband connection. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and when you were talking about precision agriculture, I mean, the, the technology that is revolutionizing agriculture is, is tremendous. But one of the stories that has stayed with me is farms that are trying to operate home-based businesses that want to start selling directly to consumers. You need good internet service to take credit card transactions. And if you don't have good internet speeds, how do you take credit card transactions? And then if you can't take credit card transactions in this day and age, when that's what the consumer wants, can you really offer a home-based business where you're selling products directly to the public? So it's an interesting conundrum that is that is facing some of our farmers that want to do home-based business that want to sell directly to consumers, but it's the technology that's holding them back. Yeah, that's absolutely right. In fact, I, I experienced a success story, as you will, uh, I'll give a little shout out to a, a neighbor farm here and farm to remember, by the way, I know they are uh, Lone Oak Farms out of Marion Center has a very unique offering. They, they went online about a year ago. They built a beautiful website and folks just go on there. Um, I often get I get all my milk there. Uh, they have all kind of goodies. I, I probably order too many snacks and some sugary stuff, but but they have an awesome business there. But they're actually a little bit limited because they're using a cellular hotspot that is not reliable and it's quite expensive to, to run that in their area. But you did all your ordering online, you're able to, like you said, pay, make a credit card purchase online, and then you line up in your vehicle and they delivered it right to the vehicle. There was no reason to come in contact. So they, they really made things work in, in a difficult situation, but that is a success story. And, and obviously we'd love to see that repeated across the Commonwealth, a, a way to have additional revenue for some of these farms that are, that are looking for additional revenue. If, if nothing else, I think this COVID crisis has, has done two things. One has, has really starkly highlighted the digital divide, but then also conversely has really helped revolutionize the local food movement. You know, when, when people were seeing scarcity at grocery stores, they started to realize, hey, wait a minute, the local farms have product and have good product that, that is available. So success stories like the one that you just shared, I think are replicated across the state. It would just be a shame if if there was if it was technology that was holding our farms back from being able to truly capture that market share. I think you make a great point. I think we've seen a large uptick in folks looking for basic education from us on how can they get started. And, and, you're, and you're right, they're getting that education from us online, but they would need that backbone to continue to sell things. But I, I do think you're going to see a movement towards you know buying their things locally, making sure there's there's no disruption in the supply because you're getting it locally or, or growing your own. I do, I do think you're seeing a lot of interest after everything that's going on. Oh, absolutely. Is there anything I forgot to ask you on the topic of broadband or the mapping software that is, is now available through Penn State? No, I think we had a pretty good overview. I would just encourage folks to you know, check it out on the extension website. Again, it's extension.psu.edu. Just type in broadband map. I would be remiss if I didn't thank very much a couple of folks. Harry Chrissy, one of our extension educators, he really was the person building this. He's kind of the man behind the curtain. He did an unbelievable job to build this. And Tanya Lamo on the team, also an extension educator, really got all the marketing push and got everything online as, as quickly as possible. They did a tremendous job. Well, I thank you for taking the time to, to, to join us and talk about this very important topic. Well, thanks, Darren. I appreciate you having us on. 
We always appreciate the Pennsylvania Farm Bureau. You've been great supporters of Extension and we hope to work together for many years in the future. Thank you. Absolutely. This is the first in a two-part series on rural broadband. Next, I'll be chatting with Penn State's Sasha Meinrath, an expert in broadband connectivity.